Hello, everybody. You're listening to The Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 48, Royal Ascot, day two preview. Big Chillians, welcome back to the Big Chill Podcast. I'm Frank, joined as always with Sam and Eddie. Sam, we have to take it to you. The Suns have swept and have advanced in the NBA playoffs. How are you feeling, Mr. Phoenix Sun over there? I I mean, I did pick technically the Lakers, didn't I, against the Suns. It was a bit of of an awkward call, but yeah, it's a pretty good... I mean, is it like a fairy tale story going on there? Like, is it is it kind of seen like that? Was this um, a little bit? I mean, they were good last year, and they were one of those teams that people thought that could improve this year. A- again, for listeners who haven't followed this entire story, you're you know you pick the Suns to win their division at twenty two to one. They obviously won the division, so even though you slightly abandoned them in the playoffs themselves, you've had confidence in them all season. Yeah, but he did bit. also jump in and and become a Suns fan as well. That's he the other did. part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is now his NBA team. He's Phoenix through and through. But no, I'm. It's 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 definitely surprising. And there's every possibility that they could make the NBA Finals because the West is not particularly strong. And based on the fact that the the Brooklyn Nets now may potentially be without Kyrie Irving and James Harden for maybe even the remainder of the playoffs. Any team left in this could win the win the finals. So it's not it's not insane to think that the Suns could be NBA champions, but could be NBA champions. I don't think they will be, but I mean, the odds are shorter than 22 to 1, right? So there's they've got a better chance of winning the finals than they had the win of winning the division at the start of the season. Also, I think we can stop now anyway because that's basically 3 minutes of saying nice things about Sam and that's more than enough for it's several episodes, much. let alone yeah. for one episode. Yeah. Even so I, I, waited out. I can switch it and now you can give me some heat. So before we get to Royal Ascot Day 2 tips, do I, do I have to take some heat for the French Open situation? <laughs> um, a little bit. I mean, you did mildly Duke a curse it by declaring that Nadal was the safest bet in tennis and then he proceeded to lose in four sets to Djokovic the very next day. So it's not the biggest Duka curse ever, and it wasn't... You could kind of see it coming from some in some respects because he had been a bit more vulnerable on clay this year than, than in, in years past. So it's not as much of a stunner. But, I mean, Djokovic becomes... You know, he's only lost three times at Roland Garros, right? Now twice to Djokovic. Uh, so, you know... And Djokovic also became the first player to ever beat Nadal in the semifinal or a final. So I guess you could kind of claim some Duca curse there. It's not the first time he's lost, but he's never lost at that stage. Um, and Djokovic, another impressive performance in the final against Tsitsipas, who to come back from two sets down in a, in a final. But, you know, that's the thing with Djokovic. He definitely is never beaten. You can always count on that with him. And stamina is never his issue. But And I know that there's occasionally some allegations that he might take some illegal substances that help with that stamina, but still it's impressive. Uh, But yeah, no, a good... He is now said, he came out, he's going to try and chase the Golden Grand Grand Slam, right? Because he won the Australian Open. He has won the French Open. He wants to win all four in a year. So, and you'd have to say he's got a pretty decent chance. Hmm. Where does this put... So at least for in the US on the ESPN coverage, as you could see the painting on, on the wall was kind of finishing up and you could see he was going to win. There was a lot of talk of, is he now in the conversation as one of, as the greatest ever, or at least at the very least, now the greatest of this generation of the Federer, Nadal and Djokovic? Um, I think personally, no. Because I still think Federer was the in his prime and over the course of, you know, Federer's prime is a very large period of time. But Federer was the better tennis player. And then Nadal has the added benefit of being 
the best of all of them and on a single surface. As you touched on, you know, that he, Federer, Nadal on clay, virtually unbeatable. So I think Djokovic could get into the discussion if he, if he does. I mean, he, he, you'd have to expect at this point, he's only one behind them in total Grand Slam victories. You'd have to assume he, when they all retire, that Djokovic will be in first place and potentially by several Grand Slams. If that's the case, then he probably takes it just on that alone. But I kind of feel like to really be able to say he's the greatest of all time, he probably needs to be a couple ahead of each of them. Because the I think I test-wise, he maybe fails. So I saw that the French Open, obviously, on the women's side had an unseeded winner. Uh, I'm going to let you say the name because I, I don't think I'm going to be very good at it. But uh... I, I've heard it said Krechikova quite a bit, but I think that's the westernization of... I think it's Krichikova, I think is the correct way of saying it in, she's Czech. I think that's the right way. I mean, I'm probably not doing it justice either way, but I think Krichikova is the closest I'm going to get to saying it correctly. But no, I mean, impressive, impressive from her. And she also won the doubles. So she became only the second woman in history to win the singles and the doubles title in, in the same year. So... That's, you know, a notable achievement. But uh, women's tennis is weird, right? It's just uh, Eastern Europe is just producing female tennis players off a conveyor belt, it seems like. And, um, you know, it's it's what makes Osaka and Serena Williams and stuff more of an anomaly. It's, in a sense, I'm not to make this controversial, but it's actually their... They're less unique. It's not. It's not race actually. That's the most surprising. It makes them stand out more. It's more the fact that they're just not from Eastern Europe. I mean, it, you know, it's it's hard to find top ranked women's tennis players who stay there for any serious length of time. And the the thing that's weird about the Eastern Europeans is they kind of appear for a year or two and then they fall off the face of the earth. If you're being cynical, you could maybe think that there's reasons behind that, but. <laughs> Well, I mean, I'm not saying anything, right? But it's not like, you know, I don't want to be accused, you know, and I can't throw any alleged leads and stuff into this, but I'm just saying. So, I mean, I I guess the other thing would just be, you know, a quick update on the the Euros, the Euro and 2020, and you have Spain held to a A nil-nil draw, scoreless draw. So that was a kind of a surprise result. Yeah. Yeah. It turns out Morata isn't that good. Um, Scotland, as Sam and I discussed pre-recording, you know, waited 23 years to make it to a major tournament just so they could lose at home to the Czech Republic. Uh, had probably, I think, what will end up being the goal of the tournament scored against them. It's, yeah. It's kind of not the goal of the tournament, but you can see why it's going to be. Um Fifty yards out, wasn't it? Like forty nine point seven. Yeah, it's it's just wicked bend on it. Like that's what yeah. makes it a little bit. Well, it's still a very impressive to do what they've done, but the, the the whip and the bend that you managed to kind of put in the air on it, it's um yeah, it's, it's pretty impressive. But yeah, the Scots were completely outperformed today. I think maybe it also doesn't help that the the keeper gets tangled up in the net like he's a like he's a fish. That makes no. That, <laughs> that makes didn't it help. Look- <laughs> See, I see that. I think it's the opposite, though. The keeper's commitment to trying to stop it makes it look so much better. Like, there's yeah, there's yeah. Moments... I, I, I think I think I I think I'm saying it differently, but yes, I, I'm agreeing with you. I think it makes it look like a better goal when you see yeah. that, like the keeper is so flustered and messed up that he's literally like stuck in on a net like a fish. <laughs> yeah, but no, I mean, and yeah, you got to give the player credit, right? Just the ambition to go for it. You're playing in the European Championships and just to make the decision to attempt, uh, you know, to shoot from 45 yards out, knowing that even if you have any degree of confidence, knowing that you're in all likelihood, you will either seriously under hit it or blast it 25 yards wide. Um, you know, most people wouldn't do it. Yeah, and elsewhere, um, Poland, Lewandowski couldn't couldn't carry them to a an opening day win. They had a player, a man sent off, lost two one. 
didn't look very happy, it has to be said, any of them. So I'd be surprised based on the visual image throughout the match if they were able to turn it around. I think my gut feeling would be that you could write them off. Not that I was expecting them to make any serious run in the tournament, but did did think that they had a good chance of getting through the group. I, I mean, we we put Slovakia down as the weakest team in that group as well, so you, you've got to kind of think that where are the three points coming from? That was arguably the easier one. Even just the the tone and the manner that we're talking about these three games, we know that they've not been classics. <laughs> like the, yeah. you know, Eddie just... sounds half asleep. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we addressed it, right? Like, I, I don't think the tournaments had the tournament so far. It's waiting. The Dutch game was against Ukraine. It wasn't that good of a game, and then the final sort of fifteen minutes sort of saved it with the Ukrainian a Yarmolenko scoring a great goal, and then suddenly it was two all out of nowhere, and then the Dutch scoring a late winner. That kind of papered over the cracks a little bit for me over what wasn't the most entertaining game in the world. Um. And I think, well, overall, we're waiting. Ericsson incident aside, and we don't need to rediscuss that, but we're kind of waiting for the moment that kind of gets that tor- the tournament going because it sort of feels in the moment that it's a bit cruise control-ish for, for a lot of teams. And I, and I think it might be tomorrow, right? Yeah, oh, Germany, Germany. Germany, France. That's the first big matchup of the tournament. Actually, Not that the other matchups haven't been big, but this is, you know, this is a prime time could be a finals final matchup even yeah know. not to say that it's similar to england croatia in terms of like the, the closeness of the quality but sometimes they're the more cagey matches though like both teams know that that is a very important one to start their campaign with so sometimes they're not as free-flowing um, they, with that group though they don't really have a choice because if to go for it you'd, you'd feel like you need to in a certain, to a certain extent, you feel like you sort of need to win, because if you don't win that match, then there's a heap of pressure on your match against Portugal. Yeah, I mean, we're all assuming that three points is there for each of them against Hungary, right? So, I mean, which isn't guaranteed. Hungary aren't terrible. I mean, they're not great, but I would expect yes, I would expect all three of them to beat Hungary. Did you no. see Cristiano Ronaldo? We can do a little Ronaldo update. Did you see his press conference? I saw he refused to commit to Juventus. I don't know. Oh, if no, that's, that's not there. what I'm talking about. I, 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 no, did, I, I didn't see, see the press what, conference. What is it? He sat down in his press conference. Obviously, Coca-Cola are sponsoring, you know, one of the big sponsors of, of the Euros. So he sat down in his conference. And you know how they always, like, line those drinks up in front of the athletes? So he sat down, and the conference hadn't started yet. And there, was, there were two bottles of Coke in front of him. And he looked at them for for sort of a couple seconds, and then he just grabbed them and moved them away, and it was like Coca Cola, no, Aqua, Aqua, and then like put a bottle of water, <laughs> put like a bottle of water there instead. Oh, that's great. So he didn't get the memo about the the sponsorship there. Did they Clearly put them not. back? Did they did they move them? Like I I, I have to admit, I didn't watch Ronaldo's entire press conference, but. No one came and moved them back. I mean, you'd be ballsy to some some like UEFA intern to wander back up on stage and like move them back. No, uh, Cristiano, we have to put it there. My boss told me they have to label out, label out. But hey, you know, any any press is good press. So I'm sure this is buzzed Coca Cola more oh. than just sitting there normally without anyone mentioning it. It's nice to see you've perked up a little bit when you talk about Ronaldo. How can you I not? I thought you were going to come in hot and say he came out with like a shirt off or something, but you didn't seem that excited, so I didn't think it was that kind of level. Maybe tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I could just help. I just, have to, I just have to wait for him to score against Hungary, right? And then that will, that will, I'm sure we'll get a shirtless Ronaldo at that moment. He'll pour Coco for himself as a. Um... Oh, Coca, yeah. Coca, Coca-Cola, by the way, not, not just like douse himself in cocaine. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the. Uh, I mean, he's he's aiming to become the first man in history, right, to score in five European championships. He's already the first, the only man in history to have scored in four. So he's <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, he put himself well. It 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 would be hard to imagine someone scoring in five. It, it has to be said. Yeah, to be good enough to have 20 years 
especially with a club like Portugal as well. It's well, you only need impressive. 16, right? Because you, depending oh, yeah, on the you like 17, one. right? Well, this a little over 16 well, and a half. It depends if you're lucky in terms of when you your career starts. You basically need you need to be in a Euro squad. I mean, Jude Bellingham, for example, if he scores for England in at this stage, he kind of enters if. the possibility of 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 maybe getting there. That's so weird to think that he would score the last one when he's like early thirties. Like that's that's a weird kind of look yeah, to it. Yeah, he'd only be thirty-three at that <laughs> at the Euros to tie that or potentially break that record. I so. feel like if someone was going to do it, you would need to be kind of at like a mid or thirty. Nation. Sorry, yeah, thirty-three. Yeah, sorry, no, sorry. You need to be at like a mid-nation team, someone like Switzerland, where they've got always a pretty good chance of qualifying, but obviously they don't necessarily have that depth. So you're probably on the plane for like a lot of the squads. Like, it's pretty impressive with Portugal because they've always been a really good team. I mean, Wayne Rooney would have had a chance if A, England hadn't not hadn't failed to qualify for 2008, <laughs> which, I mean, that's the thing. You've got to, the reason why I think you're saying mid-nation is a bad idea is because you need them to qualify for every tournament. So as soon as you drop to a mid-nation team, it's unlikely they qualify for five straight. So... But yeah, Rooney, based on obviously when he went to that first Euros in in two thousand and four, he would have had a chance if he'd played for longer and if England had always qualified for the tournament. But lots of records being broken at the Euros. You know, Chesney was the first goalkeeper to score an own goal in European Championships history today. Uh, I think Jude Bellingham is the youngest player in European Championship history as well to make an appearance so and there's quite a few other little records that have been broken so i think spain today had the highest uh possession rate of any team in a half i saw 75 percent. yeah in in a half of football their first oh. half, their first half i think they were up around 85 percent in the first half wow oh, God. that's crazy Credit i saw 75 for the whole match Credit to the Swedes, though, for keeping up like a level of concentration to be able to just watch the opposition have the ball for eighty-five percent of forty-five minutes. I pretty- I don't I don't know if I'm going to credit a team for only having fifteen percent of the ball. I don't know if I'm going to go well played, boys. It, you, it, you could probably phrase the credit differently, right? You could say like credit them for keeping the score competitive. Because usually if a team's at 85% possession... I think that might be... I think if you've allowed a team to have 85% of the ball and they haven't scored, I think that's more their fault than it is yours. Unless you have literally lined all of your players up to stand in goal, I think uh, it's hard to... It's. I mean, just on the sheer basis that just pa- playing a couple passes along your back four and having the ball for... 45 seconds doing that a couple of times in the match would give you several percentage of, of the overall possession. It's kind of crazy. You are basically... Worked, right? Technically it has, yeah. But I mean, you are basically just getting the ball and immediately kicking it back to them in, yeah. a, in a blind panic. Yeah. The, the, the amount of times where you like pass it back to a keeper and they hold it for four seconds before they then blindly panic kick it up. I remember when, what was it, Scotland, um, Craig Levine, when they went into that game against the Czech Republic and he played that infamous 4-6-0 yeah. formation. And they still lost 1-0, but just the idea of going out with like no recognized striker. And well, well, Pep Guardiola does. Pep, Pep Guardiola did that in the Champions League final. I think it's different this day, though, when you've got okay. so many attacking options, whereas that Scottish team did not go with attacking options. Yeah. But yeah, no, we'll see. Hopefully, hopefully the matches uh, pick up over the coming days. So should we, any other little topics from the week, or should we move on to day two of Royal Ascot? Day two. Bring it I on. I think we should kick off day two of Royal Ascot after we've probably... Had six winners on the day. I'll, I'll say we've lost a race, maybe. Just make it fair for everyone else. Six out of seven on day one. 
Wow. I'm, I mean, if, if I get six out of seven winners, I, I might stop doing the podcast. So <laughs> listeners, <laughs> listeners might have to hope that we have a few more losers than that. But yeah, obviously, if, you, if you're listening to this, I, day one will have happened. I would think by the time this gets out, I'd, I'd, supr- I'd be surprised if the turnaround, we are recording this before day one, I guess is important to say, kind of was, give, was a giveaway in the, in the sense that we are talking about Scotland today and things. But um, if, if by some miracle this is out before day one has occurred, you can obviously go and listen to our day one preview in which we had Scott Ferguson come on. He gave, you know, incredible amount of knowledge for some very interesting insights into the races and just the racing industry in general. If you haven't already, you should go and follow, follow him on Twitter. You should also obviously follow us, the big chill podcast on Twitter, follow us on Instagram, follow, go on YouTube where these, uh, individual races will be cut into YouTube clips. So if you don't want to listen to us talk for an hour and a half, you can listen to us talk for in five minute installments much more palatable but on that note let's move on to day two of royal ascot where things kick off with the queen mary stakes uh a five furlong sprint to get things going because what better way to start your day when than a race that is quite complicated to pick a winner out of uh twilight gleaming is the 130 favorites Artos is fifteen to two. Yet is eight to one. Nymphandora is nine to one, and Illustrating is eleven to one. Quick Susie eleven to one, and the rest are twelve to one or bigger. So another Wesley Ward horse tops the market. So far, there's not been a lot of confidence on this podcast in either the Ward horses or the American horses. I guess Frank. I'll let you give your opinion. Are you siding with Ward in this one? Yeah, I think day two, although I am on Coffee Maker on day one, I think day two is a Wesley Ward day. Um, I think the double is is in, in the horizon for Wesley Ward. So Twilight Gleaming is arguably his best horse he's bringing over. Um, I know he was really high on coffee maker, but I think a lot of that comes from the fact that it's the first race and it's his first horse of the, of the festival that, you know, he's high on it with the hopes that if it does well, he knows it's one of the better horses and it's going to set him up. But from what I've read and what I've seen time wise, twilight gleaming is arguably his actual best horse. Um, This is a race he's won three out of the last six years. So he knows exactly what it takes to win this race. And he originally had Rufian in this race as well, but opted to just go with Twilight Gleaming. So I think that gives you a sense that he knows what he has. Um, It won its second time out and the time on that race in Belmont uh, on a five furlong stiff, stiff, firm track was really good. It was a really fast time. Uh, So, I'm going to side with the favorite on that one. You have uh, Artos is the other American horse that's in this race. And it lost by six lengths to Rufian, who's uh, Wesley Ward's other runner on its opening race. And then it just beat another Wesley Ward horse on its second race uh, to break its maiden. So in that sense, I think Ward has a really good idea of what it's going up against and you know, what it's going to take to beat that horse who's now, I think, moved up to second favorite. So I'm pretty confident that Ward knows what he's doing here and that he's got the right horse in the right spot. So uh, I'm going to stick with with Twilight Gleaming. Right. So much confidence in Wesley Ward because Mm. there's never been a moment where he said good things about a horse and it hasn't been that good. But Sam, do you share similar confidence? I read Wesley Ward's comments on the kind of three runners he's got over the first couple of days. So um, Coffee Maker, Twilight Gleaming and Ruthin. Um, And it's interesting because he said that Coffee Maker really will be the kind of standard setting for how he feels Ascot will be for him. So he, he said that he feels like if Coffee Maker underperforms, then he feels like all his horses will be outclassed and he's maybe just come, kind of like underdone what is needed at Royal Ascot this year around with the horses he's got. 
but he's obviously um, very confident on all three of these horses. So you've already mentioned Ruthin going into the Windsor Castle, which is an interesting one in itself. I don't know if Twilight Gleaming is his best horse because it's kind of interesting that the Windsor Castle, even though it's a listed, you actually look at the horse ratings and the pedigrees of them, and it really isn't far off the Queen Mary. And so it's it's interesting, like, why you would change what you've done. But anyway, for the Queen Mary, I I actually like Desert Dreamer. Nothing, nothing like a race preview that involves elements of previewing a different Yeah, race. I'm previewing Wesley Ward's events of the previous couple of days. But I'm actually going to go against him, uh, Twilight Gleaming. Um, I, I do think it's probably the strongest horse in a race, but I think there's an interesting value bet in Desert Dreamer. Um, it won a five furlong at Newmarket and the form of the other horses has turned out pretty well. So Nymphadora is also running in this race and it beat that in that race. It stepped up in its second race out to an extra furlong, performed just as well. So there's no stammer issues if it comes out the trip well. Five furlongs is absolutely fine. It can drop back. Um, it, the the commentary or the kind of comments that come from them is that when it comes out the stalls, it can sometimes take a bit too much of a keen hold. So the jockey has to do a lot more to kind of maintain its line, but it, it, they they seem pretty confident on it. Uh, so I think for 14 to one, if you address that, you've got a really good value bet here. So for me, it's um, Desert Dreamer. Well, I'll complicate things by picking a, an entirely different horse. So listeners will have to pick which one of us they're going to listen to because I think the Ward horse is just too short. So maybe it ends up being the best race horse in the race. But when you come into these races where almost everything involved is totally unexposed, I think backing a horse at 100 to 30 just doesn't make a ton of sense. And maybe it ends up winning by five lengths and looks incredible, but it would, it, it is, it is also seemingly drifting. So it might get it to a, a, a price that interests me a little bit more, but I'm going to side with yet the O'Brien horse being ridden by Ryan Moore. Couldn't have been more impressed with its, only run which is the thing that makes it challenging to decide whether or not it's anything good but uh you know they've been reasonably positive it's obviously it's out of war front at eight to one you're getting good each way value there so so that's my selection just out of interest do you um what do you think of like orinoco river in that one because it beat orinoco river who was uh an odds-on horse in that Dundalk race I think it was like do you with these races where maybe you've had one two races max do you think maybe looking at those horses where they drift in value when they were odds on may come back into it or does that not really factor in for you as I said all of these horses are unexposed so who knows their second or third time out they might be significantly better than they were the previous time so that's why I would be scared to take a horse at relatively short odds given that fact but yeah i certainly wouldn't dismiss i wouldn't i wouldn't be able to say confidently well if yet you know beat orinoco river at last time out were therefore i'm fully expecting it to be ahead of it in the race in this race and from there we can go on to the second race of the day in which we have wordsworth as an 11 to 4 favorite you have arturo tuscanini at 8 to 1 ruling at 8 to 1 Dancing King at nine to one, Kamari also at nine to one, and then all the rest are ten to one or bigger. Sam, I guess we can start with you this time. Where are you leaning? Um, so Wordsworth's an interesting one. Like its performance at Navin, um, it was probably lined up to win, but then started hanging right about a furlong out, which meant Sir Lucan won. Um, so there's maybe some reservations about that kind of. Um, keeping the horse in a straight line during it. But um, O'Brien's got a really good record in this race, but actually it's Joseph O'Brien's horse that I want to back in um, ruling. So it's, um, it started life as a one-miler and it wasn't, it didn't really work out. So they put it up in trip to the mile four, which, um, which this race kind of is, and uh, dramatically improved and consistently improved as well in good company. So both of those races were at Leopardstown in good company and performed really well. Uh, Sim Murphy is a good booking for this horse as well. He's got a pretty good, um, pretty the good. Day you learn to say race. his first name, <laughs> will be. It won't be. I won't get it right ever, so it's fine. <laughs> but surprising um, that he's the one with the bad <laughs> wordage. <laughs> yeah, 
but um yeah i i, I like ruling um I, I like the kind of progression in the last couple of races even though it hasn't won it's had a really solid uh second and third eight to one i think is good value i think words worse a bit too short uh another horse i like in the market as well as dancing king at nine to one um mark johnson's horse it's a um pretty progressive stayer um and uh, it's had a lot of kind of stamina run races including a mile six when it was last time out which is what this race is so um maybe a step up in class a bit too much but i i, I think it's done absolutely nothing wrong so um my 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 bet is ruling but i also like dancing king as well all right well i'm i'm going to sort of not trust my gut a little bit here i am going to Give Wordsworth another chance. I am in the community of people who was burned very badly by Wordsworth last time out. If Shamie Heffernan were giving were on board again, I would stay well and truly away, but I think he gave it an absolutely awful ride in that race. And so for that reason, I'm going to excuse the fact that it lost to a stable mate. But, you know, going into that race, it was very, very very, very highly thought of the, it was being, you know, you had O'Brien. And again, we, as we spoke on a day, day one, I'm not going to read too much into how positive O'Brien is about his horses because O'Brien is positive about all of his horses, but that with the fact that it's, you know, the price on Wordsworth is shortening as the race approaches, I am, um, I'm going to give it a second chance and think that it might be the quality horse in this race, but I certainly wouldn't sort of lump on but i'm willing to be burned twice in a row yeah so sam hinted at it um so like i said in the first race into queen mary wards won three out of the last six well in this race the queen's vase o'brien's won four out of the last six and the importance that i think hidden between that is ryan moore has been aboard three of those six wins which means this is one that o'brien actually gets right and knows what horse is the best horse to put forward, where a lot of times we get burned where O'Brien puts in three horses and the second and third string win. But this is one where he puts in multiple horses and his best horse is usually the one that wins. So I think that does, like Eddie said, I think there is a lot of confidence in Wordsworth there. Um, it's a full brother to St. Ledger winner Q, Q Gardens. So it's definitely got the stamina. Uh, I don't think that's going to be an issue. I agree fully with Eddie. Um, that it was a terrible ride in that last race. The price though is short. Um, so I went down a little bit more and found one I think that has a little value in it. Uh, and that's Kamari, who's about nine to one, I think Eddie said. So it's a Dubawi Colt. It was sold for 600,000. Uh, so it's really highly regarded. It was runner up to Move in Time, who is now I think second favorite uh, for one of the races on Thursday. So it, it was runner up on debut to a, a, a now good horse. And then it came out in a 12 furlong maiden and just dominated the field. Um, it was as soon as they asked it to go, it just flew in front, led by five lengths. And then they even eased it back uh, with like a furlong to go. So the issue is, is that's a maiden and you're going from a maiden to stepping up to a group race in, in Royal Ascot. But you know, sometimes you get these progressive horses when it's early in the season and, you know, they just haven't raced yet. So I'm hoping that's what's going to happen here. And he's going to step up from that one mile four to one mile six. And, you know, at even at an each way, I think nine to one is a really solid bet. All right. And on that note, we can move on to the uh, Duke of Cambridge stakes, which is the third race of the day in which there are only two horses in single figures. You have, uh, Lady Bowthorpe at the top of the market at 15 to 8, Queen Power at 9 to 2, and all the rest are 11 to 1 or bigger. On Based on that, it's sort of a two-horse race. I mean, neither of them are that, that short, but, you know, the fact, the fact that it's, you know, it kind of seems like the market's identified the two likely winners and all the rest are, are sort of then become quite evenly priced is interesting. I'm a bit of a Queen Power fan, I have to admit. And so even though Lady Bothorpe was impressive in, as a runner-up in the lock-inch, uh, and Queen Power was very good last time out, even in a race that is not nearly as, as strong as this one, because I think this might be a, a two-horse affair, I'd rather go each way on Queen Power at 9-2, to two, thinking that I'd give it a chance, even, even in a sort of match bet, 
but I'd also feel confident that it can it can place. So that's that's going to be what what I do. But it, I'm not. It would not surprise me at all to see uh, to see it. You know, it finish second to a to what could turn out to be quite a very quite a good horse. Okay. Uh, so I'm going the other way. Uh, so I'm going to go for Lady Bothorp. Um, as, as you kind of rightly said, it ran a bit, a bit of a blinder against Palace Pier in the lock inch. And um, considering the p- potential one-miler superstar status that that horse is uh, carrying now, um, I think the two-to-one favoritism is pretty justified. But it, it is one of those weird ones because I think it, it came second at maybe like 22-to-one. And I'm always a little skeptical of you see these kind of long price horses run a blinder of a race and then go into a race as favoritism. Sometimes that can be a bit of a concern, but um, I Lady Bothorp in his previous race as well had beaten Queen Power as well. Um, so it isn't just it ran a single race blinder in the previous race. It also beat a couple of the horses that are already represented in this race as well. So I think um, for me, Lady Bothorp is a bit of a standout in this one. Um, Another horse I like going looking down the market that I've I've kind of been very burnt before because it's been pretty bad, but is uh, Argincourt down at, um, I, I, I saw it at 18 to 1, but I think it's actually gone into 16s now. Um, it's been pretty opposable. Most of 2020 actually underperformed and really didn't run much or do much, but um, it came out first time this season uh, at Goodwood in a class one. And... Um, it was on fast ground and they've always said that the faster the ground, the better for this horse. And it carries an adjusted um, RP rating of one, two, seven. And, you know, you look at Lady Bothorp and they're in the one, two, nine, one thirties. So I, I think that it, they probably see something with it as well. And I think the faster ground will only benefit. So first performance of the season was a good one. So I, I think 16 to one solid value for an each way bet there as well. So I'm actually going to, side against both of you and pick a horse that I think is right on terms with both Lady Bothorp and Queen Power, yet for some reason, which I don't understand, is at 14 to 1 in the market, and that's Lavender's Blue. So if you go back to the new market race that Lady Bothorp beat Queen Power, Lavender's Blue was a neck behind Queen Power in that race. And when you watch that race, two furlongs out, Lavender's Blue looks like the best horse out of those three and just couldn't get that extended furlong because that was a mile and a furlong. So I think dropping back to a mile, you have a horse that was less than half a length between Lady Bothorp, but is sitting at 14 to one on the market. And the race before that on its comeback race this year, pretty handily beat Forat, who's also in this race at a one mile in Kempton. So it just, the odds here don't make sense to me that you know, you have horses that are that short and then you have a horse that's right there with them that's down at 14 to one. So dropping back to a mile, I think is going to be great. And I think it's worth the the shot, especially at an, even in each way, you're going to get better odds than you are for Lady Bothorp. Um, and I think it can outlast. I think it can beat Lady Bothorp in a mile on the straight. So I'm going to go Lavender's Blue. Fair enough. Another race where we all disagree with each other, which makes it a little bit of a challenge for the listeners. And then we move on to the Prince of Wales stakes, where we see Love make its reappearance after sort of dominating affairs last year. Obviously, it won the Thousand Guineas, the Oaks, and the Yorkshire Oaks last year, all of in fine style. It's 13 to 8 at the top of the market. I think it will probably continue to shorten over the next 48 hours. Lord North is second favorite at seven to four, which in some respects has to feel sort of unlucky. Not that the, either the horse or the stable or the train, the Gosden or Dottori or really care what the odds are, but you would feel with Lord North that it's not done much wrong. So to be second favorite in a race is sort of surprising. And then you have Armory at 100 to 30, and then all of the prices get quite a bit bigger. So is this. Frank, are you going to continue the trend? Are you going to look further down the betting market? Or, I mean, I think we all know based on past history that you're going to have love as your selection, but maybe you'll surprise us. Eddie, is is love enough? And this race, I'm saying it's not. So, is that, is, that, prices, is I, love enough? Is that an expression that I'm supposed to say? Yeah, people say, like, is love enough to keep a relationship going? 
Yeah. I don't think it is. Um, this is a, is a really good race. And, from, you know, I think we might be split on this one as well. So Love obviously, you know, won the, the thousand guineas over a mile, but its best races were at 12 furlongs. So this 10 furlong race might not be enough distance. And I think when you take that fact that it might not be the best distance and it hasn't raced in over 300 days, I think that short price, you just have to question it a little bit. And, you know, I, I, you could be completely wrong and love could be the next enable and just come out and completely outclass everyone in here. But I think with the price and not having seen it race for over 300 days, I'm going to go away from it. Lord North to me, I just have never liked this horse. And in the, in, in the Dubai turf, I mean, yeah, it, it won that race, but who did it beat? I mean, you had Felix was in third and we were picking Felix to win a listed race on day one. You know, it's not even a group race. Well, we all were so pick, what did it, but we all were picking it to win. We did pick it. Yeah, you're right. So, I mean, I know, but race. you can't, you can't like destroy the form and then have four people participating in the podcast, pick it to win at Royal Ascot, whether or not you want to call it a listed race. It's a listed race of a sort of higher standard. So we have to be a little consistent and not be like, well, who did it beat? Felix, the horse we all picked yesterday as our nap. But, but yeah, you, you're right. But you can also take that as that's the best horse in that race that it beat. I mean, some of the other horses that it beat have been nowhere since then. So um, for me, I'm going to go with Armory. Uh, one, it's had a run before this year and it was a nice run, uh, a grade two. It handled Sangarius really easily. 10 furlong is its ideal trip. It loves this this exact trip. And it was two lengths off Magical and Gaeth in the Irish Champion Stakes at this distance, whereas Lord North, who raced against them the month previous, was almost five lengths off the pair. So when you kind of compare the form lines there, the Armory has a better race against that top-level competition. So for me, I think Armory is, is a decent bet at the prices. Um, I mean, if, if Love comes out and it's as amazing as a horse is, as it could be, you know, like the enable talk, then I think it wins. But I, I, I have to go against it not having seen it for so long. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I always find it, and this is not to, to pick on you, but once people start sort of picking holes in forms, I mean, you've, you're, you're crediting it with beating Sangarius, who then lost a four-runner race at Sand and an evening race at Sandown to Yukon Glen at 20 to 1. So it's not like that that form doesn't quite stand up as being stellar. I'm going to bet on Love will be my selection for this one. Um, I think you're brave to see a horse be so dominant the year before, and you do never know from one season to the next, from one year to the next, how does a horse mature. Yes, in ideal circumstances, I would have seen it run, run once already this year and have some more confidence. But if I'd seen it, even if it had won a listed race in Ireland before coming here, it would be significantly shorter if it had won it in anywhere, you know, sort of fine style. So I think 13 to 8, it's one of those that post-Royal Ascot, we could be thinking how on earth was love such a big price, which seems a little bit ridiculous at 13 to 8. But when you look at what it did last year, and yes, it's been, you know, off the track for a while, but it, it, you know, its last race was in, in August, the year before when it came to, uh, you know, it was, it was off from uh, October until, until June. So it's not as if it, it's run well first time out in previous seasons. It's not as if, it's needed prep runs for major races. So yeah, I think it's hard to make me love may well not win, but it's hard to make me think that I would have any confidence in anything else. Yeah. I'm, I'm right with you there. And uh, with love, I, I think it's so hard to look at a horse that destroyed a field in the thousand guineas, the Oaks, the Yorkshire Oaks, it, it's just ridiculously hard to oppose. Like O'Brien pulled out, I think it was going to run the alleged stakes in Ireland, but they pulled out because of the ground. O'Brien would have put it in something else if they felt the need to run it. And I don't think it needs the prep. I think uh, we've already said, look, O'Brien's always going to talk this horse up, but fundamentally they've said that it is only pleasing in any sort of gallops and what it's doing in training. Um, I think 
this is one of those times where you're going to look back and there'll only be maybe like the arc or something like that where love isn't odds on in its next race if it hoses up this one. So I think there's great value in a 13 to 8 shot that did what they did last year. Um, for me, I've got no reservations about the lack of a run. So I mean, look, you're looking, if, if, if love wins this race, then maybe aside from if it goes to the arc, it will likely be in odds on in all of its remaining races this season. So yep. there's a certain logic there. I, it obviously doesn't matter if it loses. There's no positives to it being bigger than you think it might've been in different circumstances, but I think you're brave to, but Frank, I hope you're wrong, but more power to you. Um, the next race, the Royal Hunt Cup, Hunt, <laughs> Royal Hunt Cup, not the, the Royal <laughs> Hut Cup. Pizza Hut now sponsor this race. It's quite quite spectacular. The Queen just takes the Royal a, Pizza Hut. The Queen takes a, a bite out of a slice of pepperoni pizza before before the race starts. But uh, Finest Sound is the only horse in single figures at thirteen to two. It's a fairly congested congested market after that. Uh, you know, you, you're finding a lot of horses priced between 12 and 20 to 1, basically, almost the entire field. Very, very difficult to pick a winner. Another one of these big field, Ascot handicaps, anything could win it. So what's going to win it, Sam? Classic, classic Ascot, right? You've got such a great race where you could have love hose up at 13 to 8. What do you do with your winnings? Ah, I've got to look at 30-odd runners, and I have no idea where to look. This is this is a really, really tough race, and it's hard to be adventurous because stools matter, the draw matters, so many things matter in this race. Like you say, congestion, any sort of bump change, it's kind of all over. It's, it's a really tough one, but... You look at all the horses in this race, and the best one, I think, by a, a fair margin is Finest Sound in the favoritism. Um, it was a good course and distance winner. A course and distance winner matters in the Royal Hunt. Um, it won at Ascot in the Britannia. Or Britann yeah, Britannia. Britannic? Britannia. And um, it's done more since then. It's actually progressed and won better races um, compared to its Royal Ascot. It's the best horse from a rating standpoint as well. The only doubt I have about that horse is that horses that are drawn in single figures generally have a poor winning performance within the Royal Hunt Cup. You need to look higher. But yeah, 16, 16, still... 16 of the last 20 winners have come from stalls 10 or greater so yeah yeah like a, it's it, it's really tough but to be fair i think this is like a standout horse in this race and i i, I haven't often said that about the royal hunt cup it, it, it also it's worth noting right it's in stall nine so yeah it, it's as, as close far as to single figures goes yeah. yes <laughs> it's 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 in the best place it can be um i'd probably be remiss if i weren't picking another one in this one another horse i like in it is astro king at 14 to 1 um high draw i think it's up maybe around 27 or something like that uh but it was held up last time it ran out at thirsk i think it was but it still ran really strongly it came on really well even being held up in a pretty big field i think it ran against 15 but um you know ryan moore's on it and it actually um beat finest sound a couple of months ago but for me that doesn't really matter too much i, I think finest sound by a mile is the best horse so my bet is finest sound but i like astro king to be a place horse interesting for me i'm i'm gonna dip back into the well i unsuccessfully went to last year and that is i'm looking at a horse in may danny who or maideny i suppose depending on how you want to say it who it's May Danny was are you confident yeah <laughs> I heard someone talk about it the other day <laughs> yeah. uh who was four to one joint favorite for this say very race last year so the and and on the day shortened tremendously there was there was a ton of confidence in it um because these are just tough handicaps I think it's it's so difficult to even try and read through the form and really make too much of an assessment it ran well in its reappearance. I think at 18 to 1, I'm willing to take an each way bet on it. 
and cross my fingers, which really for this race, I think is, is all you can do. It's the thing that would put me off the favorite. I mean, yes, you could technically at 13 to two, you can still bet on finest sound each way and make money, but I'd much rather be taking a, uh, you know, one of the 16 to one plus where your actual, your each way coming in kind of makes you actual money versus just your stake back plus a little bit extra. So that's my theory. That's where I'm going. Yeah. I kind of like that pick. Um, I'm going to go back to one of Sam's tips and I'm going to stick on with Astro King. Um, so at least I was happy that Sam also picked Astro King because he said he thought Finest Sound was the best horse and then Astro King had actually beat Finest Sound in the handicap. And then as Sam said, in the next handicap in the Thirst Hunt Cup, it was coming back from almost dead last and made a really crazy move all the way to the outside and was flying up at the finish. Um, so that could be one of those races where looking back for this race, it was actually better that it did that because it only bumped up into weights a little. Had it had better positioning and won that race, it might have flown up the weights. And now it's probably better off for this race, which is a bigger race. Um, so I'm going to stick with Astro King having come off of beating Finest Sound and um, another really good race in that last race. I think, you know, it's going to have the ground that's going to suit. It's got a good draw. Uh, like we just mentioned, it's got an outside draw and it has Ryan Moore on it. Uh, so again, you can't have too much confidence in any of these huge, huge, uh, uh, handicaps, but the other one I have too is Grove Ferry. And that's another one that was on the outside. I think it's in install 30, which might be the last, uh, 30 of 30. It was four lengths back to one of the favorites, Hakiki in the Lincoln. Uh, but it's now way, way better off in the weights, like almost 15 pounds better or something like that. Um, and it just won at Chester and the form of that race is insane. So four out of the next or five out of the next seven horses insane. in that race have all won. So next, next race out. So when you have a handicap that you win and the next all races all win. So, um, I think it's a pretty good outside shot. I think that's at 14 to one or 16 to one. So I think Astro King and Grove Ferry for me. I, I, I must have missed the memo where we were able to choose multiple horses, but in a thirty runner race, <laughs> I think you're allowed to. <laughs> but now we can turn our attentions to another sprint, another Wesley Ward horse at the top of the market. We've already discussed it a little bit in Ruth, and uh, it is the three to one favorite. It seems the odds get shorter almost every hour. You have Golden Bell at nine to one. Amalfi Coast is ten to one. Dig two, 10 to one, armor, 11 to one, Tipperary sunset, 12 to one, and all the rest are 14 to one or bigger. We've kind of previewed this a little bit and acknowledging the fact that this might be Wesley Ward's best horse. It was extremely impressive on its sole appearance at Keeneland. Again, it's tough. He's going to talk every horse up. They produce very, very good. They come here, I think it's a 350,000 guineas horse. It's, you know, they cost a ton. They beat a bunch of donkeys in the U.S. And then they come to Royal Ascot and you have to try and work out whether or not there's, if that's real talent or if it's will never be heard of again. This is the only time, I mean, he's got three horses at Royal Ascot. This is the, the one that tempts me, I have to say. So I'll be giving it a spin on Ruthen, but uh, I don't know what, how you two are leaning. Um, this is my Wesley Ward horse as well. So out of the three for the first couple of days, uh, this is my horse as well. I really like it. I just think that race at Keeneland, it didn't be much, but fundamentally looking at the horse and what it did first time out, there was just so much raw power in that horse. Like the straight line pace was so impressive. And it, I think that would be too much for the other horses in this race. Um, you you kind of mentioned it though that this is a listed race but it's so good as a listed race that it's almost it's not far off a group you see a lot of horses get uh entries for both the queen mary and the windsor and wesley wesley ward has a good record in the windsor and he usually has declarations for both and makes the decision fairly late on so i think there's a reason that ruthin has been put in this one um for me it's it's the one that looks like it's got the most potential in this race as well. What's interesting about it as well is it's sired from Ribchester. Um, so that was a pretty incredible miler. Uh, still holds the course record for the 
Queen Anne, I believe, as well. So not many horses have come out of Ribchester, actually. So it's um, it kind of makes it more exciting to see like what's happening with that kind of um, stud generation. So, yeah, for me, I really like it. So uh, Ruthin's my pick for this one. Same. Okay, <laughs> that's <then>. it. <laughs> no, no, let's keep it. Let's keep it simple. <laughs> we can. I mean, I the the only other thing that I I was I was gonna say the Ripchester part, but Sam covered it. So all right, well then we can move on to the final race of the day, the Kensington Palace Stakes, uh, over just over seven furlongs. Lights on is the five to one favorite. Uh, Dream Loper is six to one. So I told you seven to one. Mostly eight to one. Stunning Beauty is seventeen to two. Declared interest is ten to one, and all the rest are eleven to one or bigger. Interesting race. I mean, it's the as we discussed, this it's the kind of extra race of the day to have this this late finish. Uh, you know, six ten local time. Hopefully, you've had a few winners by then. Otherwise, you're going to be sort of starting to feel a little bit desperate as the sun starts to descend. I'm I find this one a bit of a challenge to to pick uh, a winner out of but I'm going to even though John Gosden has been very very negative about his yard coming into Royal Ascot and basically claimed this is the worst set of horses he's ever taken to Royal Ascot at least since he's established himself as a real trainer I think that mostly was good on it's uh, reappearance this season and part of me feels and this is no there's no real rhyme or reason to this but that Frankie Dettori has to get some winners somewhere in Ascot we haven't picked we haven't really between us picked many Dettori horses to win so far with so with the exception maybe of Palace Pier I don't know if we've so far we've kind of avoided most of his rides so I'm gonna I'm gonna think that Frankie rounds off the day, gets his probably second or third winner of the festival at the end of day two, and suddenly it's looking like another incredible f- festival for for Dottori. Yeah, this is not a race you want to be desperate on. If you've had a lot of losers, you don't want to be going into this um, handicap and thinking, right, where where do I win my money back here? Um, yeah, it's not an easy one. It's a it's a really competitive handicap, um, but thinking about that a horse I, I like and this is more of a a kind of interesting as opposed to uh so I think it's more of an each way bet but I just think it's interesting the horse and that's Caspian Queen um so when it came back six months ago at Lingfield actually ran a pretty a pretty promising third and then went to Kempton and built on that and actually um uh, it, it won that race as well which was pretty progressive now the problem here is that this is a completely different kind of exposure to it. Um, it wouldn't have been exposed to this kind of caliber and quality. Uh, but the fact is that it has progressed in the two races that it's run this season. I, I, I think there's a bit of interesting value in it. And also um, James Dawes, the booking. So I think it's had a really good start to its season. And um, I, I think it's trading at about 12s, maybe or 14s at the moment. I just think if it continues that progression, you may have an interesting each way back here. So Caspian Queen for me. So, yeah, this <laughs> this is a very tough one to end it. I do not like that this is the race they added to end the day. Um, I'm going to side with Waliak. So second here last year in a handicap race. Uh, I tried to step up to listed company. It went off favorite in that race, got fifth, uh, but hung left two furlongs out and never had a chance because it was just all over the track. Roger Varian is pretty hopeful for this horse, dropping him back into handicap company. Um, he said this is is obviously you can't make much of a handicap, but he really likes his chances here, uh, dropping it back from listed company. So it's back down to a mile as well. Uh, so it had kind of stepped up and hadn't done as well, but at a mile seems to be the trip and it likes fast ground. So I think Wally X about 14 to 1, 12 to 1. So I think it's a decent East Way value. Wow. So Frank, if you have a good Ascot day two, I have an atrocious one. I don't think we have gone <laughs> in Rufian. any just Ruthian. That's it, really. It's um Well, I, yeah. I can tell you you can also just both have atrocious days. 
<laughs> not mutually exclusive. <laughs> I'd like to hope not. But yeah, no, it's it's a tough day too. It has to be said. With the possible exception, I mean, Sam and I were discussing this before we started recording. I feel like there are fewer what seem like bankers. Now, sometimes bankers, you know, at Royal Ascot get turned over. So, And that can be more disastrous than a, a race where it's difficult to pick. I mean, there's nothing worse than having supreme confidence in a horse at around even money and putting it in, you know, a sizable chunk of your of your pot on it only to see it lose. That's worse than sort of losing in bits and bobs on very tough races, but tough day, tough festival overall. I think, I mean, I have to admit I like so far, I'm definitely doing a palace pier, uh, Batash love treble. I think, uh, Hope that uh, 2021 looks a lot like 2020, in which, in at least in this respect, and in that case, I've had a good day. I mean, yeah, for me, a, a day the day one pick is Palace Pier, and the day two pick is Love for me. Uh, I I went against Batash um, with the kind of new blood, but um, yeah, for me, Love on day two, I, I think is a real standout bet at thirteen to eight, and. Um, I don't think you're going to see that kind of value if it runs anywhere near what it's been doing um, last year. Yeah. Well, anyone listening or watching, make sure to stay tuned because our our day three selections will be out sort of 24 hours after whenever this will be out. We're going to do them daily, obviously 48-ish hours before the races themselves. So worth noting that the live prices and starting prices might differ slightly from the ones that we've mentioned. And there's always a possibility that one or two horses are withdrawn. If form is anything to go by, then several of Frank's selections will be withdrawn between now and when the races start. <laughs> but, but yeah. Any other uh, topics from the, from the week that you want to discuss before we, before we end things? No. Just looking forward to some good horse racing. Oh, I have one update to give you, actually. Oh, fire away. I have... Oh, and it seems when I tell you I have an update <laughs> that an, an alarm somewhere rings. That but, was actually the Windows update noise on my other computer as you talked about an update. That's quite impressive. I knew it was coming. But uh, I didn't dip into the chicken sandwich war, but I did try out one of the McDonald's items for their Tokyo 2020 menu here. I had the fish wasabi sandwich. I split that with uh, our mutual friend Furlong. The two of us committed to the idea of ordering some McDonald's yesterday. We ordered a standard menu to eat and then the fish wasabi sandwich to split. And I, all I can say is not that McDonald's is delicious at the best of times, but the fish wasabi sandwich will be a hard pass in the future for me. So what was wrong with it? Can you describe it for us? What was wrong with it? For starters, you'd struggle to know that there was wasabi in it. So it was basically just a fish sandwich with some barely visible green paste that every one bite in three gave you a slight wasabi flavor to it. Now, it might also be that maybe the person who put together my sandwich didn't do so with the care and attention that Ronald McDonald might hope, but it wasn't it wasn't great. I mean, it wasn't awful, if you see what I mean. Like it was entirely edible. It just they would I can't imagine eating that and thinking, oh yeah, you know, the next time I go to I definitely couldn't crave it. And there's no chance it'd be like the next time I go to McDonald's, yeah, yeah, give me that again. It was also really really small i mean we split it it was about the size of an egg mcmuffin so by the time we'd cut it split it wow so by the time we'd cut it in half and split it you kind of were like this is a three bite affair now but uh you know as i said it was it was definitely edible but it wasn't uh anything i'd be too pleased with that's a shame i was hoping for kind of like the mcrib style euphoria where you kind of need one every day before they go on like I mean, how did they not do that? You could have done like teriyaki McRib. People would have lost their minds. 
instead you've, you've rubbed some green goo on on a fillet of fish and serve that up. I mean, <laughs> Great. Um, that sounds way better now that you put it that way. <laughs> Bellissimo. <laughs> But yeah, no, it was uh, underwhelming. Not that I came in with high ex- expectations, but somehow they managed to still disappoint. So, what were the other ones again? What like what here? There's only you have? yeah, there's only two items here. It's it's that and the chicken wrap, which is just a chicken wrap with wasabi in it. So, based on this, if that's a chicken wrap, <laughs> it's the same thing. <laughs> it's a chicken wrap with a dab of wasabi. That probably would have been better. Because I mean, let's be—I don't order the fillet of fish from McDonald's. So it's not my, not my thing. So, but the reason why we we got the fillet, the 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 fish sandwich and not the chicken wrap was because of the the idea of splitting a wrap seemed more complicated because it's like harder to cut a wrap in half, you know. So it was yeah. like the idea of you can you can cut a sandwich in half easily. That was easy enough to split, but. We probably would have had to go on two wraps to make it. Or we could have Lady in the Tramp to wrap. Uh, now that would have made for good content. Yeah. What did your fellow comrade think of the sandwich? I think the same as me. Just, it wasn't bad. We both finished it, for example. Like we both, now admittedly it was three bites, but we, we did both. Like it wasn't just like a bite and n- never mind, I'll throw this away, but... And he, I think he's more of a McDonald's connoisseur than I am. I think he is too. <laughs> so, so I think he came into this with maybe a better understanding of the overall menu items than maybe I have. I'm a pretty basic uh, person when it comes to McDonald's. I just always order McChicken, don't have it very often, and that's all I ever get. Plus some nuggets occasionally. But, uh, but yeah, no, it wasn't, it wasn't great. All right, well, I think that's, that about wraps it up. So I'll talk to you boys tomorrow for day three tips for Royal Ascot. Day three after day one. <laughs>